The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of FSW, the feature stars of wrestling here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, how you doing, man? Oh, wonderful. Another week in paradise, uh, you know, a week above ground. It's a good week. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about uh, what the uh, past weekend had for you. Uh, on Saturday, you had a future shock, um, some uh, pretty good uh, matches, including a very impressive main event with uh, Watson showing that, hey, man, he's come a long way as a singles wrestler. And uh, we kind of forget because he's with the faction and he's been in a lot of tag matches that he is maturing as a singles wrestler. What do you see for him in the future? Because that match with Vandergriff was really good. Well, you know, it, it, it's always seems to be the same. Hey, that match with Vandergriff is really good. <laughs> so, you know, but. You know, it's similar to sports, you know, when you're playing the Yankees and you're playing, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs nowadays. It's like you're going to get your A game because you want to go out there and you want to prove you're as good as that person. And, you know, a guy like Mac Vandegrift, who's a, a front runner for the wrestler of the year, you know, him and Sharp are probably the top two guys. So when you get that opportunity – you, you know it's going to be easy because you know Matt's really, really good, but you want to go out there and you want to pull out all the stops. And, you know, you, you have a great chance to have the match of the night uh, in that situation. And, you know, Watson has always been, you know, that under-the-radar kind of guy, and that's kind of why the faction, you know, scooped him up. You know, he was highly regarded in Arizona when he came in. And I remember Graves cut a promo, putting him over. And when we saw him, we just knew he needed more experience. You know, in Arizona, he wasn't getting these bigger matches. So even though he was around a little longer than a Shogun, we felt like a Shogun had eclipsed him when it came to, you know, having matches and being being around because Shogun's around so many great people. Right. So, you know, Watson was another guy who made the move to Vegas and, and it really helped, you know, bond the faction, you know, after they added ice and, you know, right now Watson is mainly in the tag team with Fresco right. and, you know, for the near future, that's really not going to change, but it doesn't mean on a future shock or on another show or Fresco can't work. You know, I'm, I'm more than comfortable putting Watson in with somebody good. It's like, you know, 
Let's see. I'm putting the card together. Matt wants to work. It's a future shock. We're trying to put as many as the younger guys in, on as possible. You know, we get the few veterans like a Bugatti work with Andy Delgado. And it was like, okay, well, let's move Fresco in, see how he does with Demir. And, you know, the best option for a Vandegrift. Because if you look at the future shocks, he's, you know, he wrestled Ricky from the Suavecitos, another guy from a tag. And... Right. You know, those are the those are the shows where Matt's not going to wrestle the Danny Limelights and and the Damian Drakes or or whoever you know the the top the top tier high octane guys. I guess you can you can phrase it as you sure. know you generally want to save that for the bigger shows because this is generally a student showcase, right? And uh. Speaking of that, what did you think of uh, Brett the Threat and Jimmy Jack? And do you see Jimmy Jack uh, showing any progress? Jimmy Jack is an anomaly. Jimmy Jack is a guy who walked in, got put on a show, and for some reason, no rhyme or reason, it was like, oh, we love this guy. You know, it wasn't like, Hey, before his debut, he had all these promo videos on Facebook and everybody was looking forward to seeing him. You know, I remember a while back, uh, Jimmy Jack, still in training. Uh, there was a guy, Ken, and Ken was training to be a manager. And Sid was running one of his little events at the Sunset Park. So it was free to watch the wrestling and, you know, Sin would use a lot of the younger kids who would help out set up the ring when they were there. And then he's like explaining to me about how this tag team somehow called Sugar Toilet had Ken and Jimmy Jack on it. And I'm shaking my head like, really? Ken's training to be a manager and you have him in a fucking match? Like, it's fucking deplorable, you know? And it was like, oh, you know, I kept it basic, but man, these guys were over. And it's like, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> and at that point, Jimmy Jack, I guess he had COVID and, and he had some uh, some issues with it. And he couldn't train for three, four, five months maybe. And I would remember seeing him around, like during training. And wasn't really paying much attention, but I guess he wasn't really training at all. But he'd be at the shows and he'd hold the camera and whatever it was. And then I saw him. I'm like, you know, what's up about dudes? Are you training? He goes, no, you know, I just need to be around it. You know, whatever I could do to help because I can't train. And it was like, well, he'd be a guy who's not paying dues. He's not training. But then when we would set up for the women's show at the Sahara, he'd be one of the four guys that would actually be there to show up. Sure. So those are the kind of people that you want to give opportunities to if they're somewhat deserving of them. You know, there's some people there that have more physical ability and they're sitting in the back because they're not going to be on the show because they don't understand that it's more than just training you know in all honesty it's disrespectful to the people that you're with that you feel at your level that you're 
you must feel that you're better than the other students sure. because you don't feel that it's necessary to help set up at a casino show. It's you're not you, you're you're too good to show up to break down a ring, which we've made things so much easier. We have two rings. One sits on the fucking trailer every day in my in my driveway. So there's no breakdown anymore. All you do is when we have something is you go to Silver Nugget, you set up the ring, show's over, you take it down, it's back on the trailer, and that's it. Okay. In the past, it was break down the ring after class on Cody's day on Thursday, and then we go set up the ring uh, sometimes Friday for a Saturday show or whatever it is, and then we break it down because now there's no ring at the school, and right. then we do the show. And then we break down the ring. And then the next day, we need people there at 4 o'clock to set up the ring to have training that day. Now we've bypassed all that. All you do is break it down and set it up and break it down. And when there's 10 or 12 people there, breaking down a ring takes fucking 30, 40 minutes. It yeah. isn't like, oh, my God. Oh, I, I got to be here for three hours. No, you, you got to be there for 45 minutes. Um, so when you look at what, you know, Brett was trying to accomplish in that match with Jimmy Jack, uh, obviously he was eliminated in the uh, rumble, uh, a couple weeks ago by Jimmy Jack. Um, what do you think is the next step for Brett, the threat in what he's doing? And how does it kind of, you know, fit into what you see in the overall loaded picture of all these, you know, all these guys who are at a level in which Brett the Threat is pretty much knocking on the door of, you know, being that uh, that next guy because he's he's really put in the work and he's really serious about it. You know, the... It, it's funny that there's these guys, they come in and they're very, very impressive in their first year. And, you know, we'll say Brett the Threat, Nick Xander, Suavecitos, they all came in kind of around that same time. But the thing is, they're impressive and they're really good for guys who've been doing it for a year or two. Right. You know, they're not great for guys if they were 10 years into the business. And that's right. what I've tried to explain to all these guys. And it's funny because, you know, we had the six-man six tag at Against All Odds. And Brett the Threat got to be in there with Masters and Carlito. And I had to drive Masters. There was an issue on his flight. So I had to pick him up and then drive him to the airport later that night because he had a show in Canada the next day. And he was like, yeah, I didn't realize how green the Brett guy was, he said. You know, it's like, you know, he's got to slow it down, man. He's going a million miles an hour. But that's things that you learn. And he goes, yeah, but he's only been doing it. And, and, and you know, he, tr he transcended that Masters by saying, but, you know, I understand he's only been in the business a year and a half. So right. it's things like that that Brett the Threat doesn't realize probably. You know, because I talked with Brett and he's gotten people who've given him other advice. Well, that kind of differentiates you by being all over the place. 
And it's like, that's fine when you're working character stuff, but when you're working match stuff, you know, it's tried and true. You hear it from every single person that ever walks through the door that's ever done anything is slow it down, slow it down a little, you know, let, let people be able to react to what you're doing. So now that they're into that terrible twos into the second, into the third year, let's see the transgressions and let's see the improvements that are made from the Nick Xanders, the Brett, the threats, the Suavecitos guys like that, who are kind of at the, the that top second level to right. where they're trying to get in. You know, obviously, Brett the Threat, Nick Xander, and the Suavecitos, you see them elsewhere, and they're getting big opportunities because of what they've done in a short period of time in FSW. And, you know, I saw the Suavecitos, they got another match with uh, uh, Royce and Jarrell coming up at Prestige. So, obviously, they've opened eyes to be able to do that. And Nick Xander's wrestled good people. And he's been able to be brought in and wrestle good people. And Brett the Thread, he's wrestled good people. So, you know, people look at them as the, you know, the next group. You know, last year, or maybe a year and a half ago, that's where Jay Vidal and Matt Vandegrift were. Right. And they took that and they improved tenfold. Well, if any of the guys I just mentioned rest on their laurels, they're just going to. I've seen so many crash and burns where guys got to this level and then they never got better. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like I've, I've talked with Bodie and it's like at 15, you're phenomenal. At 25, you have to be different than everybody else. At 25, you're not the kid anymore. You're not looked at the way you're looked at now that you're amazing for a 15-year-old that's in the wrestling business. But you need to make sure you're able to continue the growth to when you're 17, to when you're 20, and what makes you stand out. Because right now what makes him stand out is he's incredible for someone at his age who generally isn't even thinking of stepping in the ring to be a wrestler. Right. So, you know, it's taking those opportunities and, you know, looking at Bodie. You know, he's been in the ring with with Matt Vandegrift and, and Gatson and Jay Vidal and Funny Bone and Eli Everfly and Sin Bodie and Remy Marcel and Brett the Threat. And, you know, it's a who's who. Right. At 15 years old. <clears throat> well, most kids are, are hoping that they can get a win on WWE 2K. You know what I mean? At 15 years old. <laughs> so it's true. It's true. And and we, uh, let's face it, we know also that some of the guys who are 25 are basically more focused on getting the win on WWE. Yeah, yeah some of them devote more time to that <laughs> than the actual training. Uh, you know, you brought up a very interesting point, and I'll be the first to admit that, you know, when I, when I learned, one of the biggest things is learning how to slow it down, learning how to process everything into the storytelling aspect and feeding off that crowd and feeling the crowd. 
Is that something that is a little harder now to grasp when there's so much, I guess, quick movement of uh, what's going on, you know, in uh, reels, right? Everyone, everyone has that uh, 40 second clip of them doing something that's, you know, spectacular or, or, or different. Yeah, and, even the, even the shittiest guy could put together a highlight reel of thirty seconds right. of him doing, you know, that one move good once, you know. Right. right. So, how how do you get someone today who, and and even if they're they're at a level where they're, you know, they're they're good, but they're trying to get that next step. How do you get them to realize that? some of the best um, storytelling, some of the best way to understand match psychology is to actually go back and watch matches that to today's kids might seem boring in terms of it's not paced quickly, but the overall arc of the stories in a, a let's say a flare steamboat match, you know, that's just, perfect when you're learning how do you get someone to buy into the fact that it doesn't have to just be you know go out there five minutes of just boom 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 and uh you know pat yourself on the back and go get some pizza well that see the thing is that's not my job my job is to get you ready to have a match if you want to get to that next level it's your job to figure it out you you need to go into the FSW locker room at a Mecca and talk to the guys that have gotten to the next level, you know, and it depends on your style. Obviously, if you're uh, juicy, you're probably not going to want to talk to not that, not that you're not going to get great knowledge from say Davey Richards or TJ Perkins, but you, you know, you may want to talk to Rhino Right. And say, hey, bro, you know, using the size and doing the things. And and these younger guys, there's so much knowledge in a locker room. There's so much knowledge in FSW to where I didn't even know. Oh, TJP and Chris Bay. TJP was in Japan for like two months and he had the Super Juniors like a week later. So I thought there was no way he came home, but he came home for like five days and he's at the FSW training facility with Chris Bay. And it's like D'Lo Brown will show up and Sin Bodhi's there and Kenny King's there. And it's like, if you're not soaking up the knowledge, now right. there's a difference between soaking up the knowledge and being a pain in the fucking ass, you know? <laughs> it, 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 you know, funny story, you know, Masters missed his flight because one of the students – you know, we appreciate it, going to pick him up. He's trying to tell stories. And Chris is like, can we make sure we get there? And he said the guy missed the entrance. And he got there, like, right at the button. And there was a person at the thing that didn't let him through. So he ended up missing the flight because of it. And, uh, you know, there was an accident. And, and it made the guy a little late to begin with. But it's like, now you're late. Make sure you get there. You right. know, it's like going and asking. But the thing is. Two days earlier, Rhino was very talkative to him about things. 
So now he's he's trying to absorb. You know, you can't blame the guy for for doing it, but right. you also need to know the time and the place to do it because Chris Masters is a guy who will freely give out advice, knowledge. If you ask him something, he'll be more than happy because he gives a shit. Right. So, but there's also a, a time and a place for it. So these younger guys that are coming up, sometimes they get that early factor of uh, they know it all. They're all know-it-alls. And, oh, I know it all. You know, I see some of the younger guys who've got two years in that never train anymore. And the funny thing is, it's like, wow, you're in a position to where you basically kind of work the shows off as a trade-off, and your training is fucking free. Yeah. And you, I don't see you other than maybe once a month. Like, when did you become so great yeah. that Chris Bay's going to Japan in five days? He just came off impact tapings and he's in the fucking ring working on shit. Yeah. TJP, fucking two months in Japan wrestling every fucking second and third day wrestling being away from his family for 60 70 days and where is he on his day off in the fucking ring so i got no sympathy for these guys who walk in and it's like oh it's future shock it's the show for the younger guys wait what do you mean i'm not on it well, you know, I, I couldn't set up the ring in May and the anniversary show and for Impact and the other ones because, you know, I had to work. Oh, but if I had a show, you'd be able to make it. Oh, well, of course. You know? Yeah. So I, I try to be the nicest person when it comes to that, of, of getting people on and trying to eh, massage it to where this is their opportunity. But a Jeffrey excellence or a Brandon G or a, a Jimmy Jack, despite the fact that they're not getting anything that moment, they're still there to be of assistance. Right. Instead of looking at it as, Oh, okay. Well, I got yelled at. I'm going to show up. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm just going to show my face. And right. that should be enough. Like, are you that thick-headed? Well, is is there some is there something in uh, the water? Yeah. Must be. <laughs> well, I guess the 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 thing is 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 there anything that that uh, those guys can look at? And how do you hold yourself accountable for your own actions? And I guess this ties into being a professional, right? Um, you're, you're looking at this as this is the career you want to achieve. Um, no matter what your expectations are, what you, you see yourself in terms of where you want to go with it, you still have goals and aspirations. So what is your advice to, you know, someone who's in that position of, I really want to be a professional wrestler, but yet 
I'm not putting that aspect of professionalism into it. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing those little things, those, those quite frankly, camaraderie things um, that listen, you know, right, you're, you're only screwing over the guy that you're basically going to war with yeah. when, because yeah. if you don't think that those guys don't see them grabbing a guardrail and the other guy fucking pissing off. Yeah. Because I will be told. I will ask. And nobody's snitching. It's like, hey, was this person there? No. Was that person there? Yeah, but he was bullshitting the whole time. And it's always the same people. So you, so right. it doesn't change. It's right. that you know, it's been tried and it's been true from, from day one. You know, we had this guy, the Hefe, and he he was talented, this kid Caesar, and we needed a mouthpiece leader of uh, the enemies of the state. And Caesar progressed really, really well. And obviously he wanted to be a character or whatever. I'm like, hey, bro, this is what I got. Like, you could be on the show tomorrow. I need a guy as the jefe because we had Scratch with Bryce and Remy on one side. And he came in kind of like the money guy. And right. it was Sheik and Saiku and eventually even Sean Davari as part of this group. And, and jefe was the leader. And jefe was down at training three, four days a week in great shape. And he quickly rose the ranks, got matches with good people. And then all of a sudden, he kind of got to that point and then kind of tailed off. And now he wasn't as great a shape. And he had a girl. And, you know, they had their little issues. And, and now wrestling wasn't the number one thing yeah. on his docket. Yeah. And then it became that the reason he wasn't being used which is the excuse, oh, well, Joe doesn't like me. It's like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? It's like, you have to continue at a certain level. Right. And he just kind of was starting to coast. And in that coasting and things changed in the company and different people, he became a guy that, you know, wasn't as reliable. And... You know, he took it personally and his options were to get better or leave. So he chose to leave. No. But, you know, because in his opinion, that's what, what he felt the issue was. There's plenty of people that I don't love that I think they're the greatest people that work on shows because they put in the time. I think they put in the effort. And just because personally, I think they kind of take – you know, they'll take the side road, you know what I mean? To where they'll, you know, make it, oh, yeah, I got booked today. Oh, I had a show last night. I didn't get until late. And it's like, what does that have to do with my show? You took the booking on right. my show. Call time's 3 o'clock. So maybe you only sleep six hours today instead of eight because you're supposed to be working my show. Not you show up 30 minutes before the show starts let alone an hour and a half after call time. Yeah. And you got to make that stuff a priority. And you got to, hey, Joe, 
I'm working late. Hey, Joe, I got this. Instead of just going on the student page, seeing what I wrote, and then just moving on to the day. And no response. Hey, I need some hands. Uh, we got this going on tomorrow. Hey, sorry, I can't make it. Hey, I can make it. You know, it, it kind of helps when you're trying to do things that you know you're going to have at least six or seven people there instead of a crapshoot. Hey, we got a seminar with Rhino. Hey, we got a seminar with Davey Richards. And you'll see people like it, but that doesn't mean you're coming. It's like communication is the number one thing. Number one, bar none. And unfortunately, a lot of the younger guys don't know how to communicate. And it goes through all aspects. Well, what does Joe want from me? Well, what do I need to do to get on the show? It's not my job to hunt down 42 people to let them know everything they need to do. I'm in the office. Usually I'm bullshitting with somebody. Right. You right. know, I'm not sitting there monitoring training. That's not my job. You know, right. I go in, try to collect dues. You know, when when guys like Damian Drake and Matt Vandegrift, they're, they're around. Ice Williams, you know, hey, what's going on? Hey, what are we looking to do? You know, th- there's a lot of those veteran guys that are going to talk to me and see what the plans are or, or some ideas or something that they want to pitch. You right. know, no offense, but I don't want to hear what Brandon G thinks he should be done on the show. You have to earn that right. Uh, a Hammerstone is going to message me. I'm going to listen. A Hammerstone is going to recommend somebody. I'm going to listen. And unfortunately, whether they like it or not, there's a pecking order based on what you have done to help the company. The more you help the company, the more I'm going to be willing to listen to an idea of yours. When you do nothing and you only give a shit about yourself, well, I'm, I'm not that concerned with it. I, I also have a life outside of the wrestling and there's only so many hours in a day and it's like putting things together, you know, and all of a sudden these whirlwind guys have these great ideas and they tell me, you know, 40 minutes before the show starts. It's like, dude, you saw me three times last week. Why didn't you bring it up then? Like I have nothing else going on. Or people who need to talk to me. Hey, you know, uh, I was interested in training. And it's like, well, why didn't you come during training? Why are you here during a show? Do you think we don't have a show to run? Right. Yeah. You know, people do not know how to communicate very well. You know, if I communicate, oh, Joe's an asshole. No, I'm, I'm telling you how it is. I'm not your friend who's telling you every match you did was great when it fucking wasn't. You're not going to get better that way. Right. It's like, it's my job to critique you. Oh, man, that that headlock takeover was awesome. Well, you've been doing it two years. If you can't fucking do it, then get out of the fucking business. I don't need to tell you that. Uh, Your tie-up was phenomenal. Yeah. It's like, which in most cases, a lot of them aren't. Aren't. (laughs) You know, yesterday, you know, Sin, Sin comes in around six. So the younger cats come in at like 5, 5.30, and they're kind of running around. And they're all trying to do the cool stuff. And it's like, wow, that that's awesome, that uh, 450 leg drop you did. Uh, can you actually learn how to tie up first? 
What's that? Yeah, if you don't know how to do a wrist lock, but you can flip, you yeah. know. That's, that's all that matters. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to be looking at uh, high-octane uh, seasons beatings coming up here on the 17th. Um, so far, uh, how's the card stacking up with uh, the uh, the announcements that have been made already? Well, first off, you know, we announced it at the show. And there's a lot of people who believe Matt Vandegrift's the wrestler of the year. And there's a lot of people who believe Gregory Sharp's the wrestler of the year. And both of them have titles. So we decided at season's beatings that we were going to have a title versus title match, which kind of can go a long way into who's going to be the wrestler of the year. And so the first match signed is a main event in any indie department where you go, Matt Vandegrift versus Gregory Sharp. That is a fucking barn burner. Okay. Now... We have Hammerstone defending the FSW Heavyweight Championship. We have a couple of ideas. Then we have a four-way number one contenders match that will wrestle the champion at no escape. Uh, Danny Limelight will be also eagerly watching because he's now the number one contender for the No Limits Championship. And he will be wrestling the No Limits Champion at no escape. So those are just a few of the matches. We have the women's match that we uh, had talked about a uh, six woman tag. That's going to be Maserati, Rochelle Riveter and Alice Blair taking on Viva Van, Johnny Robbie and uh, Tanaya, who has been pretty impressive in her few appearances in FSW. Then TBD is going to be on hand defending their tag titles. Then you can get up to $10 off by bringing two unwrapped toys. So general admission could be 10 bucks for this fucking show. So, you know, that is truly amazing. And the number one contenders match not necessarily the heavyweight champion, but the four participants in that match will be former FSW champions. Could be no limits, could be Nevada State, could be heavyweight, but that's going to be a marquee matchup. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously Nick Xander and Nick Bugatti, they have not uh, finished what they were doing. Uh, may not be a match, but there's going to be some involvement with them. Yep. Uh, Jordan Cruz returns, Devin Reno, Blair Brody, Kevin Koa, MK. You know, the, the show, the regulators, you know, so it's like now it's trying to, you know, between now, season's beatings and uh, the New Year's Eve show countdown to midnight. You know, there's some guys who might not be on the 17th, like a Brett the Threat, for example, but he'll probably be on the New Year's show. Clutch. Nino Black has returned. You know, there's so many great talents that I've, you know, had to leave off people. 
you know, just to figure out. Same thing with no escape, you know, putting the plans together. Uh, Jacob Austin Young, cutthroat Cody, Remy Marcel. I don't know what is going on between the 17th and 31st. You know, the idea is those guys will work at least one of the two shows and possibly both, but it's just taking all these guys and trying to fit it in because we still haven't talked about, well, what about sky high? What about the suavecitos? You know, where's the tag team division? Uh, I got hit up by Jeff Cobb, a guy who used to work for us a long time ago. Uh, Not that he worked for us, but he was in California friendly with Paul London, a guy by the name of Kaimana, who's also Jeff Cobb credited as one of his trainers. And they were going to be in town for that weekend. And I'm just seeing if there's room to put them in, you know, him and his partner. Uh, Them working TBD would be awesome. But it's like, is there enough room to put them in a single match with TBD and then also try to get the regulators, Suavecito, Sky High, Faction? I haven't even talked about them. Yeah. Damn. So, you know, there is a lot going on. And talent-wise, Primo Henio, I, I predict he is going to be the next newcomer FSW superstar on the horizon. He's pretty, a guy that, pretty good. Pretty you know, good, man. looks like $10 million, knows the business. I had talked to him. I thought he had far less time in. I guess he had a different gimmick character going on hide that i heard of but not really too much so it was weird to me because it was like well this primo henio guy i've really been starting to hear about for the last few months so i thought he was a new a new guy from santino's but he's seasoned as season can be you know he looks like a million bucks the gear's fantastic him and damian drake had a really good match yeah and you know it's similar to when we did Future Shock, and it's the New Talent Initiative, and that's where Primo Henio he gets his start. Same thing for Jordan Cruz. Same thing for Class. Yeah. And it was like you saw Class, he got on the mic, looks the part, plays the part. We're like, hey, this guy's going to be something special. And he, he became the Nevada State champion. And yeah. now he's been out with an injury, hopefully close to coming back. And I look at Primo Henio as a guy who could slide right in to that no limits division and have some exciting matches. Not that Matt Vandegrift doesn't have enough on his plate with the Jordan <laughs> Oasis, learn, you know, lurking in the background, you know, possibly the reason why he's not the heavyweight champion at this time. You yeah. got Gregory Sharp and him having a match. Uh, if he gets by that, he doesn't get a breather. He's got fucking Danny Limelight at no escape. So there, there, there is a lot going on. And Matt's a guy who, you know, he could have easily been like, you know what, Joe, I'm going to chill at Future Shock. You know, I'll come down and support and watch. But it's like, who can I work? You know, and he just wants to get in there, man. And, and he's proven that he is deserving of everything he's getting. And... You know, with Jay Vidal signed with Impact. And thankfully, you know, when Jay let me know, he also sent me a picture that he'd like put up on the wall, which was very, very cordial of him. 
So, you know, a guy like Matt is definitely, you know, somebody on the horizon. He's already gotten a little taste working some of those AAA shows with Damian Drake for Conan. So, you know, he knows what it's like. Like, I, you know, got a little spot in AEW Dark. And, you know, his weaknesses he's really improved upon, you know. And, you know, the character development and the look and all that other stuff and and getting in great shape. Like, he's done everything he's needed to do. Yeah. You know, hopefully he's talking into the mirror every minute of every day. Because if he's got to do some promos with Danny Limelight, you you know, you don't want to get knocked out of the park. And that's not... And and that's not a shot because most people Danny Limelight's going to knock out of the park. So, yeah, no, and that's and that's a very interesting uh, aspect too. That when you when you get a guy like Limelight, I think the tendency is to try to counter with something that is similar to what Limelight does. But the magic is finding that in yourself that you can bring out that can counter what you know that promo is doing because you're bringing more of yourself to the character and you're you're bringing life to this even more and matt is just right there he's right on that cusp and man if he you know if he finds that one that one just that one thing that like don't be billy gun to the rock right yes that program becomes really short right but right. it's similar to how we open the show about when people are stepping in the ring with Matt Vandegrift, they gotta they gotta bring their game up. When they got a promo with Danny Limelight, they they have to be you know at the at, at the top of their game just to hopefully hang a little bit with him. Right. Yeah. No, he's uh, <laughs> he's one of the best and. This is an exciting, you know, it's going to be an exciting build over the next, you know, what is it, six to eight weeks for No Escape. So um, it's going to be fun to see. Um, With that being said, let me ask you, uh, a guy like Damian Drake, he had a great match. Um, He also uh, worked another show this weekend in Vegas and won a championship off of a guy, you know, DeShade. Uh, for you, what does that mean in the city when you have guys like Damian Drake or Fresco, um, winning belts at the other companies? How do you view that in terms of it? Does, does that do anything to bolster or does that do anything to hurt? Because a lot of the fan base is the same fan base that watches FSW. It doesn't affect me and what we're, you know, planning on doing. You know, it's like we got matches set. You know, we have ideas of where we're going with Damian Drake. Winning that, you know, winning that title doesn't change what I'm doing. It's no different than when my guys, which is a Damian Drake, a Sharp, who has titles elsewhere. These guys go over there. And they're booked according to what their promoter wants to do. They don't take fucking FSW and say, well, you know, we need to protect them. And it's my job to make sure 
I know Jay Vidal had those issues when he was no limits champion. I'm like, bro, you're not going to go over there and be jobbing out to people. Right. And if you are, that's fine. But then where are you at with me? Right. You know, we're going to be running a show in three weeks that's going to have 500 people in it. And a lot of our fans just saw you lose to somebody that may have worked at FSW and was perceived as a lower end guy. So yeah. I, I'm someone I, and I've said it a million times. I do not love the fact that there's six other companies that use mainly our guys. They, you know, they, they, there's no discussion of it. They all have their own little grouping of guys, but a lot of the main guys are FSW trained whether they don't like me anymore or think I'm an asshole and don't work for me anymore, we still train those guys. Right. But the guys that are top-notch guys, they're FSW guys. I never stop anybody from going to work and make money. It's an independent thing. There's no contracts. But I also try to make them understand the importance of protecting what you are in FSW. You know, I've said it to guys like the Suavecitos and Sky High. If you're going to go over there and you're going to lose to all their tag teams, when you come here, I can't have you beat all my tag teams because now it makes all our tag teams look like they're underneath those guys' tag teams. Right. And people may say, oh, that, that that's ridiculous. Well, no, it, not in my opinion, and it's my fucking company. So... Right. If these guys go and work those places, like I and I also say, like to Bodie and them, make sure you're working somebody who's better than you. If you're being brought in to put over somebody who's nowhere near as good as you, what it what are you really getting out of it other than a booking? Right. You know, yeah. go to California, go to Arizona, go out there. Instead of wrestling in front of some of our fans just to have a match because it's in Vegas. Yeah. It's like, have it mean something. If you're going to wrestle somebody, never said anything ever. If you're going to wrestle somebody who's better than you and it's going to help you, 1,000%. I'm behind it. And again, right. I don't have to love it. But it's also harder to push people when they're over there and they're not a priority. Yeah. You know, that's why it's easy to have Hammerstone as a champion. You're not going to really see Hammerstone on shows elsewhere in Vegas. You know, Ice Williams, Vandegrift, they, they might work one. And it's like I've tried to tell them, if there's four different companies out there and you want to work another show, great. But if you work all four, you just watered yourself down. Right. And you can choose to work three of the four. And if FSW is one year and that's not the one, so be it. We've had champions who've left FSW because for whatever reason they felt they were better off not working for me. Okay. I, I, I. I see you come to my shows. I say hello. You say hello. Uh, you know, no issues. I'm not going to bar you from the building. Right. You know, everybody has to do what's best for them. 
And if Matt Vandergriff is going over everywhere else and putting people over, well, how how do I perceive him as this superstar? How do I perceive him as, oh, this guy's the best wrestler in Vegas? Yeah, but he he lost uh, three days in a row in three different shows in town. Yeah. You can't sell that to anybody. So you you want to be protective of the main guys. You want the younger guys to get exposure and get experience. You know, you know, I see the screen coming and you see, you know, the Davions and now maybe the Demirs. Yeah. And, you know, some of these younger guys that reps is the most important thing. Now, Davion being young and very young, you know, it's hard for him to go out and get booked all over California and all over Arizona. So he's had opportunities to work in Vegas. And good, bad, indifferent, it's still the experience of him working there. Yeah. You know, my issue is when I have a show and I get blown off for that show, then – Make sure you don't cry about it when I don't put you on our show. Right. So, yeah. you know, Jimmy Jack. Nobody uses Jimmy Jack. He he helps at everybody's show. He wrestles on our show, and now everybody wants to book Jimmy Jack. Well, why didn't you book him before? Yeah. But Jimmy Jack's a guy who we know needs reps. He needs right. work. You know, his character is, is over as fuck, but... He's still very green. He's still got to get better as a, as a wrestler. And yeah. if he works hard, which, you know, anytime there's a wrestling show in town, he's around trying to help. Yeah. So am, am I supposed to fault the guy who's an FSW guy because he went to Super Beasts and he helped out? No. He loves wrestling. He's no different than the fan who goes to all the shows in town. Right. Jimmy Jack loves wrestling. He wants to be around wrestling. There's 10 FSW guys on the show. He's friendly with them. He's supporting them. He's going to watch them. If he gets on the show now, obviously, he's a hot commodity. Right. And now he's getting to be booked on these shows. So he was there anyway. Now, at least, you know, he might get a match. He's getting his reps in, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. What's your take? Uh, Valley, uh, Ricky Tenacious runs it, and yeah. you know we have no issues with Ricky. You know, right. but it's like make sure when you use our guys, Ricky, you don't put him in with some fucking schlub. Yeah, or or Ricky Tenacious. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um. And, and, hey, Ricky had a, a good match on the show too. Um. Got a. Give him a little little shout out for uh, future shock. Um, let me ask you: Versus again did run a show and had something that I had to get your your thoughts on, um, and that is Ref Cody gets a match against Ricky Mandel. What is that for you when you see guys who are specifically known as referees or managers? You kind of alluded to it earlier with the idea of sin having a manager in a tag match, uh, essentially. But when you see that kind of stuff being run and have you done anything 
that stands out to you along those lines? Um, because I always find that a fascinating, you know, thing seeing a, a referee wrestle is it could be good or it could be, you know, just a, a storyline to do something. And eh. um, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first off, 95% of the referees you see on the Indies have trained to be wrestlers. And in a lot of cases, they want to be wrestlers. And they're forced to be refs because maybe they aren't good enough as wrestlers, but they're good refs. Okay. Uh, Cody, in the past when we've used him, I remember him doing some spots, kind of the old Rick Knox thing and doing uh, the double, you know, leap frogs and and stuff. So he's capable of doing it. He's trained at FSW numerous times to want to transition into a wrestler. All I think of is if you're doing it, well, it's got to be behind some kind of an angle that led up to it. There's no issues with it. There's no right, no wrong in, in who's wrestling who. I saw it, and I was just like, huh. I didn't realize there was anything going on with Ricky Mandel and and Cody. But if there was, I, I don't see any, any issue with it. Years ago, uh, well, speaking of Ricky Tenacious, uh, Ricky wanted to get on shows, and there, there wasn't really much of an opportunity. And at the time, we didn't have a ring announcer. So, you know, Ricky Ricky found his best Salvation Army outfit and came in, and he ring announced. And we knew he was a wrestler, and we knew he was training and all this other stuff. So we worked in an angle to get Ricky as a wrestler. And, res- and uh, Ricky would be the announcer for Derwin the Destroyer. And he would specifically get Derwin's name wrong, Darwin, and, you know, whatever it was. And it led to Derwin getting pissed off and pushing Ricky. And it ended up leading to a match, and, like, Ricky beat him in five seconds. You know, he went after him, missed the clothesline. Ricky rolled him up, one, two, three, whatever it was. And it was an angle, and it was a, you know, lower card angle. But it was comedy. It was fun. And absolutely, you know, nothing wrong with it. And we actually had an incident on uh, Saturday with Brandon G and uh, Ref AJ, who is training to be a wrestler. But we needed a referee. He stepped up. He's doing a good job as a ref. Uh, Brandon G's uh, struggled a lot in his matches, to say the least. You know, he could have possibly the worst win-loss record in Las Vegas over the last couple of years. So he got frustrated and, you know, exploded on Ref AJ. And after Ref AJ could have disqualified him, but it's a four-way, so I don't really know the technicalities of disqualifying one guy in a four-way. So AJ shoved them back. Bodie was right there. One, two, three. Brandon G went crazy, walked out the door, cut a promo blaming me like it had something like it was my fault that the referee. Oh, the referee put his hands on me, but I was pretty sure he put his hands on the referee first. And I was very amused by the promo, by the way. It was like, oh, shit. I like 
the show was over. I got in my car and then I, you know, I hit the Facebook thing and all of a sudden there was the Brandon G promo. It was like, wow, that was like 20, 30 minutes later. And yeah. I, that, that was one of the most entertained I was of uh, Brandon G. So if that leads to something, well, I don't know, but yeah. if it does, you know, we'll make sure that the referee is capable of doing things. Right. Uh, it's, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good perspective because you know, that it's something that comes up in wrestling often where you see, you know, managers or, or refs or broadcasters, uh, ending up in positions and, uh, just good to kind of get that feel of, of what the overall feeling that you have about it is. Um, uh, as we kind of, uh, start to wrap up here, uh, big news out of, uh, your New York Mets uh, starting lineup or, or rotation now, getting a Verlander to go with Scherzer. It's like Detroit uh, 2006 again. Well, you know, J Jacob deGrom was a great pitcher, no doubt. But, you know, I looked at the stats. I looked at everything. Jacob deGrom has been hurt forever. Yep. Every year he gets hurt. When he comes back, he's a five-inning pitcher. Yep. And shockingly, he had one season that he won 15 games. Yeah. He had one season he won 14 games, and the highest win total was 10 or 11. Yeah. Somebody like the Texas Rangers, usually them, they go out and they'll bring in free agents and they'll spend shit tons of money, and those guys will be busts. They're paying them $37 million a year for five yeah. years. The guys had barely 30 starts in the last three years when most pitchers, like a Justin Verlander, will have 35 or 40 starts. He did right. get hurt the year before. And right. the thing is, the guy's 40, and that was the first time he was ever out for right. any prolonged period of time. So if you sign him for one year, obviously you're going to sign a guy for a year. So signing him for two is not the biggest deal in the world. Right. Justin Verlander wins 20 games like he did. Because if I remember correctly, Justin Verlander didn't pitch for like the first – he was out for like a month during the season. So, yeah, something like that. I think it was – Because he's had some it, back injuries, but it's always right. been not like, like like a Kershaw. You know, he, he's right. always injured, but Kershaw's working for $20 million instead of $40 million. So you, you, you're over-budgeting for a guy who doesn't even have 100 career wins that they're calling the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. And I get it the way baseball is structured now. Hey, you can go five innings. But what happens is he goes five innings and he never gets any wins. And it isn't like, oh, they're 28-4 and four when DeGrom pitches. No, they're 19-15 right. and 15 when DeGrom pitches. So right. is that worth $40 million? Justin Verlander easily will go eight or nine innings. He'll almost always go seven innings. So yeah. the bullpen, bullpen isn't depleted. You only got to get to one guy in the bullpen instead of six. And let him walk, man. It's like if he wins 20 games, great. He's got he's signed for five years. I, I even put it on the Facebook. Is this guy going to even win 60 games in five years? Well, here's here's a question, and I think that this is something that 
it, it it's again it's hit or miss in baseball. Kerry Wood went through it and uh, did a fairly good job. Uh, Smoltz did it and went back to starting pitching, but Degrom seems to me like perfectly suited to be a closer. He's that kind of stuff. Come in for an inning, strike out three guys, and you're good. Yeah, you you would you would think because of the injury bug, but the right. problem there is now he's expected to pitch three times a week, even if it's an inning or so, than the one time. So you know he's hurt his back warming up. So now he's warming up right. five times to be in the game three. Right. But it's De- Dennis Eckersley. You know he, he was a good starting pitcher and he was a phenomenal closer. Schmoltz was a great starting pitcher. Whatever injuries, whatever sent him to the bullpen, he was an exceptional, an exceptional closer. You know, I yeah. saw the Mets re-sign Diaz, who yeah. imploded a couple years ago, but he's bounced back. But it seems like all those closers do that. Yeah. Kimball, uh, Kimball, he 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 imploded uh, a few different times. Yeah. When they're on, they're on. When they're off, they're off. But it, it, it's so weird because in nowadays, man, you'd bring in Mariano Rivera in the bottom of the eighth with one out and two guys on, and he'd have to pitch an inning in two-thirds. Yeah. Now it's like there's no way in the world that, God forbid, they're going to put somebody in for two innings. It's like he's pitching two, three days a week, you know. Raleigh yeah. Fingers, I think when he won the yeah. uh, the, the side Young – he probably pitched like 150 innings. Yeah. And yep. Suter, the closers today pitched 40. Yeah. Bruce Suter was the same way, uh, you know, who, who just passed away recently. Uh, uh, you know, you'd see him go out for three innings. Gossage, Goose Gossage, one of the best ever. Right. Yeah. He was always in the game in the seventh or eighth inning. Yeah. Yeah. And he wanted he, to win the game. And then you you look too now. I think you've had so many uh, flash of the pans, almost where they're good for about three years as a closer, and then they burn out. Whether it be you know through injury or just arm fatigue or why, you know. why are you talking about Eric Gagne like that? He had a great year. He had one of the best. The dude that was one of the most exciting years to go to Dodger Stadium. That was so phenomenal. And then it's like. Oh, and he used steroids, and it's like, okay, but it was still entertaining. I don't care if he had the advantage or whatever you want to call that shit. I didn't care about the steroid era being non-competitive or, or an advantage for anyone. Well, it, everybody it was, was on steroids. <laughs> yeah. So, so Barry Bonds hit a homer off a steroid guy. Right. It's, you know, we've heard it about Schilling. We've heard it about Clemens and – you know, so if Clemens and Schilling supposedly were doing it, you don't think the shitty fourth pitcher was the fourth starter wasn't doing it, and it, he still sucked. Right, it never. Out, it Jeremy never, Giambi uh, yeah. pretty much had the same DNA as Jason Giambi. So did Jason just have better steroids, or was Jason just a better hitter? Right. Which, yeah, it never elevated the talent of, you know, your natural ability. It just, in you know. You can't hit a home run if you can't hit the ball. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
it's going to be interesting to see the the rest of this week how the baseball meetings uh, the the winter meetings play out. Well, this year. you know, it's the Mets, so something will happen. You know, Justin Verlander have a a, a freak accident. Uh, he'll be playing. He'll be playing in the backyard with his wife, and he'll tear his ACL or something. Playing badminton or something. But if you're if you're gonna go, uh, if if there's one person you want to have an injury with, it's it's definitely Verlander's wife. Well, well not for the Mets at eighty two million dollars. So, <laughs> and didn't they? Like that's funny. It's like why not two years at eighty million? Why is it two years at eighty two million? Like, why right. is it forty one million a year instead of just forty? Like, I'm always like, I'm always like with the numbers. It's all, I always like even numbers. Right. Seems weird right. to me. Like forty one million. And and how what what is that negotiation like that you're holding out for an extra right. seven hundred thousand for this and three hundred thousand for that? See, see like Degrom, it's thirty seven million a year, but it's five years, so it's an even number. It's one seventy five. Right. Or one eighty five, or whatever it is, but it's you know, in in money wise, it's a five or a zero. That's always right. You know, normal. Right. You, it's like a wrestler. You know. You know. Sometimes when you get people's rates, you know, it's a hundred, it's one fifty, it's three hundred, it's five hundred. And I remember it was uh, Apollo Cruz, Uha Nation at the time. And we had booked him, and I believe his rate was like two hundred and eighty dollars. Like, wouldn't you just say three hundred? Like two eighty? Like that's just like a weird off the books kind of number. Because most people are always, hey, you know, fifteen hundred. Hey, I want fifteen hundred and thirty-five dollars. Like, I I don't get how that. It's just weird. You got the Apollo Cruz. He gave you the DeFalco discount, man. He gave you the. I guess off. maybe he was three, but for me, he did it for two eighty. <laughs> uh, it's just fascinating. I the you know when you see whether it's baseball or basketball or even when you do get some wrestling information on contracts, it's just one of the most fascinating things because in our lifetime we've seen. You know, remember 1980 when Nolan Ryan was literally the first million-dollar season. And since then, it seems like it was Nolan Ryan. And now, like, Joe Smith, who's the 26th man on the bench. What did I see? Somebody recently signed, and he was getting... Millions of dollars a year easily, but the guy's like record was like 45 and 42 career wise or something. Sure, and it was like, Oh, yeah. there's 16 million a year. It's like right. literally, you're getting paid like three million. Like Jacob deGrom is going to be getting paid like three million dollars for every win, and that's yeah. if he wins 12 games. Which he's only done twice in his ten-year career. Yeah, and they're calling him the greatest pitcher in baseball. Which, yeah, it's it, it just it's mind blowing, right? It's it, pitch seven or eight innings a game. Maybe you'd win twenty games. Yeah, because again, 
Sure. A lot of times he leaves losing one nothing. It's one one. Well, you know, game's not decided in the first five innings. Yeah. The analytics is like, oh, can't have him face anybody three times. Why not? That's that's why ERAs are so much lower. Like right. sometimes a good pitcher has to fight through a tough inning. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he doesn't get the loss because the thirteenth pitcher, because back in the day it was you know twenty five man roster, fifteen players and ten pitchers. Right. Then it became thirteen players and twelve pitchers. 12 pitchers. And now they added a guy and it's like twelve players and fourteen pitchers, which is even less. Which you should have more because you have a DH. Right. Right. So that means you, you you have to have another position player on the team. Right. Yet somehow there's 13, 14 pitchers. And they wonder why the games go four hours long. Like, they have to make these weird rules. Like, he must pitch to three batters. Like, why the fuck can I just pitch one to one batter? That's why he's the lefty specialist, to pitch to a lefty. So he pitches to a lefty, and then – the next batter is Aaron Judge, and I got a pitch to him. Like, I don't get it. Oh, we yeah. the shift. The batting averages are too low. We got it. We gotta. We gotta stop the shift. We'll hit it to the opposite fucking yeah. field. Yep. Be a it, professional hitter. It's be good enough to bunt. Right. If you could bunt, we'd have we'd have fifty four hundred hitters for the year. Oh and no! Wait. They would readjust the shift and there wouldn't be one. That's how you eliminate the shift. Yeah, exactly. You're not allowed to play over there. Like, what do you mean? I stay wherever the fuck I want in a baseball field. Right. Like, it's mind boggling. The rule changes that they're making to justify that they had the lowest batting average since – the year they lowered the mound in 1969. Yeah. Because Bob Gibson had an ERA of like 1.1. 1. 1. Well, guess what? So did so did Verlander and DeGrom. And that was with a higher mound. So yeah. that would make them better. <laughs> well, the other stat I saw, Aaron Judge, the MVP, 60-something homers, he struck out more times than Tony Gwynn did in a 10-year period. Yeah. 10 fucking years. Yeah. Yep. And Aaron Judge was two points away from winning the triple crown. triple crown. And he still hit 314. Right. You take away his strikeouts, if he puts the ball in play with the shift, he still hit like 430. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, and I'm waiting for them to do things like uh, uh, no no pickoff, like to help you know. Well, somebody oh, said there was a rule you're only allowed to throw over a couple of times or something like that. <clears throat> that I haven't heard if that's true. Like you're only allowed to. Do, so it's like so the third time you're not allowed to throw over. So why wouldn't I just steal the fucking base? You can't throw over. And that's what, and that's why I'm I'm wondering if that's the next, if that's true, or if that's even in the mind of them, 
because that seems like that's the next thing. Oh, well, we should give the base runner an advantage because it's more exciting when we're seeing guys stealing bases and there's not as much doing right now. Um, it's well, yeah. analytics, everybody plays for a home run, yet the scores are two to one. Right. It's like, shouldn't analytics say, bunt the fucking dude over? Like the worst rule ever. Hey, we're going to start the 10th inning and there's going to be a guy on second base with no out. And I've seen more times than not, like 90% of the time, the first guy doesn't bunt him over to third, so that way a sacrifice fly, you know, right. whatever. You got to play with the infield in. It's like if that rule was so good, you would have kept it for the playoffs, but you don't because the rule fucking sucks, and you're just trying to, like, not make a game go 17 innings. Yeah. Yeah, and – don't even get me started on the uh, the All Star Game in two thousand and two that changed that whole thing for almost twenty years. To well, the, the, the basic rule was is was 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 horrendous. Oh, the winner gets home field advantage. Yeah, how about the team that won one hundred and ten games gets the home field advantage? Yeah, and and at what point you know. It was like even in the 80s, they were still competitive games. But at what point did it just become every team has to have a representative and we're going to expand the rosters? <laughs> it's just like. Yeah, it was always who's that guy on the Detroit Tigers that was going to make it in like 2012 <laughs> right. or 10 or whatever. Right. Yeah. All right, we'll put Cabrera in, even though he's hitting 242. Right. Yeah, it, it just makes no sense to me. It just, and it killed it to me, it killed a really a really good game because some of those all-star games were games you would talk about. Freddie Lynn's grand slam in nineteen eighty. favorite player of all time. Fred oh. Lynn. I lived in New York. And he was my favorite player of all time. Yeah. yeah that motherfucker, the if there was padding back in the day when he first started, uh, he would have been a hall of famer. He got so banged up from running into walls, making unbelievable catches. Yep. Yep. And he was he was another guy too who had that uh, that speed factor. He could, you know, he could put a ball in play and get runners over. He, just just an incredible player. And to me, you you've lost that. It Otani is a great example. The guy can pitch. The guy can hit. But at the same time, you look at it and you go, if you took away the pitching or you took away the hitting, is he really a dominant player as a position player or as a pitcher? And I, I, I think he's a really yeah. good hitter. He's really good. I think he's a good pitcher, but I think he's a number three starter. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good yeah. pitcher. It's not, But he's not a great pitcher. But he's a good pitcher and a really good hitter, so that makes him – Probably the best player in the league because you got a guy who can actually win 15, 20 games if he had a decent team, and he's still going to hit you 30, 40 homers. Right. That's the most valuable player. You know, I, I mean, I argue that whole thing is another well, thing. Too. When you win 71 games, there's no way anybody on your team is the most valuable player. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we could have that conversation. Uh, for, for the on the uh, DeFalco Files, the baseball version, coming in April. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> I think a spring training trip, man. I think we got to go out to uh, Arizona and, uh, 
and uh, sit and do your Defalco files while watching a game. There you go. Live, live. Live, exactly. We'll stream it. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in this week. And remember uh, the 17th of December here. Uh, it, uh, that Saturday is going to be... Uh, Bring a toy, you fucks. High octane, season's beatings. Uh, bring two unwrapped toys, you get 10 bucks off. So, so five yeah. off for one. There you go. Yeah, no, don't, don't don't be bringing uh, like a, a two inch uh, Gumby, okay? <laughs> that you that you got at the brand new thirty nine cent store. <laughs> and yet it and yet it still costs five bucks to buy it at the thirty nine cent store. So that's right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>